to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Our scripture reading on this day is from Mark's Gospel. We're skipping ahead today to the ninth chapter. This begins with the second verse. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, They saw no one with them anymore, only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. That is the word of God, and it is for you, the people of God. Together we say, thanks be to God. This transfiguration story occupies prime real estate in three of the four Gospels. Each one vividly describes Jesus' bedazzled appearance on a mountain to a handful of his disciples. We get the story on one level. We definitely get what it's trying to tell us. We get that when Jesus' face shines like the sun and when his clothes radiate a dazzling white that no Tide Pod could ever achieve, we're supposed to see the significance. It's theologically impactful. Even if you forget how many commandments Moses brought down from Mount Sinai or you cannot remember for the life of you who Elijah the prophet was, you know that their presence means that something huge is going on here. And then, of course, God overshadows the whole scene and calls out, my son, the beloved. And you remember that God said those same words at Jesus' baptism. And you know that this event is as significant, maybe even more significant than that one. We get it. You get it. I get it. The light, the prophets, the divine voice, all of them signify that Jesus is not just the carpenter from Nazareth anymore. He is not just a wisdom teacher. He's not just a healer. There is more to this body, to this face, to this person. Jesus is the image of God. 
personally, I have always, always struggled with this transfiguration story. Part of the reason I struggle with it is the unreality of it, the the special effects quality of the way the story is told. But part of the reason I struggle with this story is that I have nothing in my life to relate this to. I would love, love, love to have a mountaintop experience like this. I'd love to know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus and God are who the scriptures say they are. I'd love to see a bedazzled Jesus in front of my eyes, but I have never once had a vision even remotely close to the one described here. So over the years, I have wondered, do I not see because there is no transfiguration for me to see? Or do I not see because my eyes do not know what I am supposed to be looking at? I do believe that Jesus was changed in his appearance before the disciples' eyes. And I believe that transfiguration is not only something that happened once to Jesus long ago on a mountain. I believe that a God, our God, is in the transfiguration business. That God is uh, authoring these kinds of changes all around us, all the time for us to see. I believe that God works in our lives through transfiguration. So I'm working on getting my eyes to catch up with what my heart believes. So where I begin is making sure that I understand what this word that we use in the story means. What does this word transfigure really mean? Trans is a movement. It's a a movement across or beyond or through. Trans means change. Figure means form or shape. Transfigure is therefore to move or change a shape or form of something. Transfiguration is a change in something that we think that we know so that we see that we experience that thing in a whole new way. As I have worked to connect my own life with this story, I try and ask myself, what else do I know? What else do I see and experience in the world around me that also gets transfigured? Where have I seen this before? Have I seen this somewhere before? Well, clearly, for those with eyes to see, this happens all the time around us in the creation. Springtime, as it creeps ever closer, although These days, it seems like it's taking a long time to get here. Springtime always transfigures the landscape around us. All winter long, those buds sit dormant on their branches, and you don't see them at all until one night in the springtime, bang, they explode one evening out of our sight, turning a bare gray tree branch into a pink conflagration of color and texture and light. Those flowers give way to luminous green leaves that build a sacred canopy over our heads all summer long. Springtime is a time of transfiguration. But the transfiguration happens at the end of the growing season too. It happens again in the fall in a different way. Those 
Same greens turn to red and orange and brown and yellow. Those leaves curl up and they fall off the trees and they decay on the ground. And over time, if you could watch it happen, you'd watch them break down. You'd watch them uh, turn into dirt through the process of decay. They get worked on by the microorganisms and they become soil nutrients for next year's growth. If you could watch that same process over millions of years, you might see that same organic material compressed down and transfigured into jet black coal. One of the greatest transfigurations in all the natural world happens inside every chrysalis as a caterpillar builds that compartment around it and transforms to become a butterfly. If you've ever heard the Radiolab podcast, um, I totally recommend it to you. It's called Goo, G-O-O-N-U, Goo and You. Uh, If you've never heard it before, you are in for a treat. I won't give it away, but I I will say that it describes this process. and, And I will also tell you that what actually happens inside a chrysalis is not only a biological mystery, it is a theological revelation. It is transfiguration through and through. So any patient observer of the natural world will see that transfiguration is ubiquitous. It's in the world all around us. But but just saying that transfiguration is part of nature doesn't necessarily invest it with theological significance. So what else do we know that gets transfigured in our own experience? How about a place Can a place be transfigured? Think about the places that you know, the places that you travel or the places that you inhabit every day. Places tend not to change very much or at least not very fast. Our relationship with them becomes very functional. Even a a beautiful place like this can become very predictable. Places don't surprise us very much. We know how to navigate them and they're relatively dull. But places can be transfigured. When we were living in New York, this happened. One Friday evening, music was blaring out of, uh, from the steps uh, of an old apartment building. And as strange as it was to hear music from, coming from the steps of an apartment building, what was even stranger was that there was a crowd that had gathered around those steps. Probably 75 or 100 people were huddled there together. And they were of all ages, kind of a, one of those great New York crowds that you see uh, post-college, pre-childhood, older couples, uh, black guys with dreads, Uh, Club kids, uh, pot-bellied guys smoking a cigar, an old woman in a bright-colored moo-moo. All of them were gathered around these steps, and they were gathered watching these two people. At the bottom of the steps, there was a woman, and she was tap dancing. And at the top of the steps was a guy in a suit who was lip-syncing Sinatra. And and the closer you got, you looked at him and you realized that he's not lip syncing. This guy is actually singing. He's singing the best Sinatra that anyone has ever heard. So the, the story behind the story is that the two of these folks, these two people, this woman and this man, had lived in this same apartment building for years and never really known each other. One night, the tap dancer decided that she wanted to 
go tap dance in front of the building as a kind of catharsis, as a kind of therapy. And she knew enough about the guy in the upstairs apartment that he had a collection of jazz records. So she went and asked him to bring some jazz records out. Well, it turns out that this guy is a professional singer. His specialty is Sinatra. And so uh, he not uh, doesn't just bring out um, uh, uh, um, uh, music, but he brings out his microphone. So he starts singing and she starts dancing. And then the owners of the thrift shop just the next door down pulled out couches and chairs for the audience on the sidewalk. And finally, the police pulled up. And everybody thought the fun was over. But instead of breaking it up, the police said, well, just don't block the sidewalk. And even along the way, the police made a few Sinatra requests. The music continued long into the evening. And the person who shared this event with me said this. He said, think of all of the things that had to happen for this to take place. The neighborliness. The generosity, the free time, the good weather, cooperative police officers, these things never come together at the same time, except in this case, they did. They did. And and when that happened, this normal stoop, this set of stairs, the steps of an old apartment building became a magical place. They were transfigured. The places that we live and the places that we work and that we see every day don't have to be sullen and soulless. What about time? Does time get transfigured? Time, this thing that's omnipresent with us, this uh, thing that sort of marches along and seems to govern our lives, This thing that barks orders at us, that tells us, well, do this now, be here then. This thing that rules us on the one hand, but but slips through our fingers the next. This thing that there is never quite enough of when we're busy and that there's too much of when we're suffering or when we're sad. Time also gets transfigured. Time changes its shape and and becomes something new. We say that God has her own time. We call it eternity. And eternity, God's eternity, is always breaking into our time and breaking it open. Sometimes we find ourselves in the right place with the right people, and time itself seems to slow down and stop. Every moment becomes rich and full. You know this experience of eternity. Times when you feel that there is all the time in the world. Nothing is anxious. Nothing needs to be hurried. In God's time, every moment is replete with possibility. Anything is possible. What has happened in the past need not be repeated in the future. The future seems pregnant with promise. Yes, Time is transfigured. Places get transfigured. Nature itself experiences transfiguration. And of course, you know what else gets transfigured? We do. We get transfigured. We've all, every one of us, has moved through portions of our life feeling like we don't matter. Feeling like no one sees us like no one cares about us. 
that the universe is largely unaware of our existence, that, that life is somehow indifferent to our being here. The great German mystic Meister Eckhart says that life stands under the shadow of nothingness. There's always this threat, this shadow of non-being that will cover us. So we try to lift ourselves into somethingness. We, we, we buy things. We do a lot with stuff to try to give our lives meaning. Maybe these objects that we wear or that we own will make us feel something. We attach ourselves to our work, to our roles in life. We think that maybe, maybe our job can give our lives meaning if we perform it to a certain level. But it's not enough. It's not enough. We can't escape that shadow of our nothingness not until we are loved, right? Not until we are loved or until we show love to someone else. Love, love is this energy that binds our souls to the soul of another, a giving and receiving of affection and care that allows us as people to turn from blood, bud into blossom, easy for me to say. Love reveals and distills the purpose of our being, the purpose and the end of our being, the telos of our being. Through love, we become ourselves. Our faces shine with a kind of holy light when we give and receive love. I have always struggled with this transfiguration story. I'm not going to lie. I have never had a vision of the Lord in the way that is described in this passage. But I have come to see and to believe and to know over the years, and maybe maybe you see this too, that when we see Jesus transfigured, not only do we see Jesus's true nature as the image of God, but we also see the nature of how God works in the world. Landscape transfigured into glory and back to dust. A stairway transfigured into a beloved community. The march of time slowed to a waltz. A lonely, isolated individual turns alive, becomes luminous, in the act of giving and receiving love. When you look at it, when you look closely, when you have eyes to see, it is as if there is a secret possibility hidden in the heart of everything. Everything can be transfigured by God, including us. The Apostle Paul wrote all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, all of us are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, from the Spirit, changed from glory into glory, Transfigure us 
O God of unceasing wonder, transfigure us. Let the church say, Amen.